Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by good friend, business owner, and absolute savage, freak of nature, strength athlete, J.L. Holdsworth. Now, before we get into this week's show, I want to give you guys a little recap of the week that was, and let me tell you what an entire month of rain does to a schedule. So as you know, both kiddos are in sports. Kendall is in softball. Kate is in baseball. They are both also doing tennis. So if all goes to plan, you know, we've got something, you know, every other night, it's not too bad. Things are kind of spread out. Well, we have had just incessant rain. The entire month of May, it has rained pretty much every day. It's crazy. It's been the wettest May in the history of the state of Indiana. Regardless, what that does to outdoor sports is just pure chaos. So over the last week, starting like last Tuesday, we had a makeup tennis lesson Tuesday. Kendall had a softball game Wednesday. She had another softball game Thursday. Friday, Cade had a baseball game. Saturday, they both had games. Sunday, they had tennis. Baseball tonight. Yeah, I mean, you kind of see where I'm going with this. It's been a little bit nutty, but man, it's been so much fun watching them play, watching them get better at their sports, seeing the smile on their faces. So, you know, lots going on there, but they are loving it. Just an awesome weekend in general with all the sports thing. We got to go out to dinner with family that we're very good friends with. So the kids absolutely love that. Pizza and ice cream can't go wrong unless you're trying to lean out, which uh, none of us are right now. But, you know, kids had a blast there. And then Sunday, we had a cookout for all of the IFAST staff. It was great to get pretty much everybody over here, interns and all, to celebrate our good friend and fellow IFAST coach, Jay Chung, as he prepares to move on in life. His wife is a doctor. She got a job in Des Moines, Iowa. And so, yeah, they're going to have to move here soon. It is a sad day for the IFAS family because Jay has been with us, I think, six years now. He's a staple. He is a part of our culture and our community at IFAST, and we are going to miss him dearly. But at the same time, very excited for him and his family, new beginnings, and wishing him the best of luck as he moves to Des Moines. So I will also say this. If you own a gym in Des Moines, Iowa, and you are looking to hire an absolute savage of a coach, you need to drop me an email because Jay Chung at some point in time will be on the market. So that covers the weekend. Man, a lot of good progress on the certification project that I've been working on. This thing is such a monster. <laughs> I mean, as I start putting this together, I mean, I'm putting in at least an hour every single day pulling all this content together because the outline alone was like 30 pages in Google Docs. And so now I'm trying to pull all this together put it into a PowerPoint, getting graphics, getting anatomy dr pictures drawn so that we've got really good anatomy photos in there. So, man, massive project. But at the same time, I know when this is done, it is going to make a huge, huge impact on our industry. So excited to keep moving that forward. Got a new video out this week. Podcast going very strong. Thank you so much for your support. May was our best month in probably the last four or five months. I don't know if it's the people we've had on. I don't know if just everybody's excited about training and coaching again, or it's just that natural kind of upswing that we see in the spring and summer. But man, I just want to take a quick moment. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. We're going to cross 900,000 downloads this month. And that is just 
amazing to me. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for your support. Podcast, killing it. You know, the trenches this week have been just a little bit light. And we see this every June simply because there's a lot of guys that we have that are, you know, fringe NBA level guys, or they're going to get into a summer league camp, or they're going to be in a training camp this year. So things have been a little bit light there. It's actually been kind of nice because it's allowed me to play catch up on some work at iFast. It's given me that time to work on this big project and trying to pull that together. So all is well and good in my neighborhood. But before we jump into this show with JL, I want to talk about something that has really been top of mind for me lately. And really, it's something that I consider to be a staple in my career. And I think it's something that if you're really serious about anything, right, whether you're in training, whether you're in finance, whether you're in mortgages, whatever you're in, I think you should make it a goal to become an absolute savage with the basics. And, you know, a lot of people talk about this now. Oh, yeah, you got to be a savage when it comes to the basics. But I remember years ago when Dwayne Allen came to iFast and we got to work with DA for, you know, six, seven weeks leading up to his training camp and two, three weeks in. I mean, DA's been a lot of good places. I mean, he's been to Clemson. He's been to Exos. You know, he's been all over. And somebody asked him in the Colts locker room, like, well, you know, you could go to the Colts. There's nothing wrong with the Colts. Don't don't get me wrong there. But he said, you know, why do you go there? Why do you like it there? And he said, man, they are just absolutely amazing with the basics. And that's something I've always tried to hang my hat on. It's something that's always been important to me. Because what I see a lot nowadays, and keep in mind, when I say this, I'm never bashing a young coach, right? I was awful. When I was young, I'm so much worse than what a young coach probably is today because they come out with a better foundation. But what I see now a lot of days is this feeling that you have to keep up with the Joneses, right? So I see people talking about like French contrast training or they're doing post-activation potentiation. That's great. But then I watch another clip and you can't coach a dumbbell row. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's you're like rushing to get ahead and to show how much you know When it's like, man, the basics are the basics for a reason. They are the foundation for what you need to be able to do to move well, to be able to lift heavier weights, to be able to become a better athlete. And it's really interesting because I've coached people for close to 20 years now. And something that I've always been intrigued by is the high level guys, like the guys at the professional level. And for the most part, the guys that are really close to getting there are absolutely intent. They are obsessed with the details. They want to know, hey, what am I doing wrong with this dumbbell row? What can I do to make my push-up better? How can I clean up my squat? Because they know all those little tweaks, all those little inefficiencies that they're working to clean up are going to carry over. They know it's going to make a positive impact. Now, do they want to do cool stuff at some point in time? Yes. You can't just do vanilla ice cream for 12, 14, 16 weeks. That's not going to cut it, right? You've got to find ways to challenge them, and I think you've got to find ways to keep them engaged, which is the hardest part of training pros, if you ask me. It's keeping guys engaged. But regardless, these high-level guys or these guys that are on the cusp of making it to the next level, they are obsessed with the details. They want to do everything right because they know those little things are what's going to differentiate them from their competition. Now, 
What I also find interesting, and it's almost to the contrary of that, is there's a lot of these young guys or these guys that aren't really that close to taking a step up, right? Like they haven't really put these pieces together. And so they're willing to like put it on somebody else. Oh, well, you know, Mike's training is kind of vanilla or it's not, it's not sexy enough or I don't feel smashed when I walk out of the gym. Like that's fine, but you always have to come back to, you have to do the basics well first. So part of the reason this came up was, you know, we had these two guys that were coming into the gym and coming into the program and, you know, they weren't like totally feeling the work that I was giving them. And the way I tried to describe it was, look, man, I want to do cool stuff. I want to give you guys the total package. But if you can't show me a basic defensive stance, if you can't load your hips and do the things I need you to do from an athletic perspective, we can't pass go. We can't collect $200, which means you don't get to do all the cool, fun stuff that I know you'll be able to do down the line. So part of that 100% is on me. I got to be able to sell it. I got to be able to educate. I got to be able to convince them why this stuff is important. But there's definitely a give and take here because if you're a young athlete or if you're a young coach, you have to be patient, right? Becoming a savage with the basics doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes reps, okay? So I want to finish with this. I want to ask you, what do you stand for as a coach? You know, for me, the things I always come back to Again, being a savage with the basics, you know, being brutally efficient in not only how I write a program, how I deliver the program, and how I coach my clients and my athletes to make sure that they move incredibly well. Because here is the take-home message, my friend, and I think this is really, really important. The best of the best, and I can, I think this is pretty universal in any area of life, are always rebuilding and strengthening their foundation. Their foundation is never strong enough. And this comes back to a great discussion I had with Bill Hartman years ago. He's like, I'm always looking at different angles. I'm always trying to get better at my anatomy, at my physiology, you know, like those basic foundational things that make us human, right? Those things, if we can better understand those, if we can peel back those layers, man, they are going to make us even better as a trainer, as a coach. So don't get bored coaching squats, coaching, coaching pushups, coaching deadlifts, like If you really are into the art and science of this, the better you get, the more reps you get, the better you're going to be able to execute with every single client and athlete that walks through your doors. So my friend, that does it for me. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with JL. Years ago, I used to get asked the same question time and time again. If I can only purchase one of your products, Mike, that will make me a better trainer or coach, what would it be? And here's the part that really sucked. I flat out didn't have a great answer for them. Magnificent Mobility, Inside Out, Bulletproof Knees, they were all really solid products, but none of them were a perfect fit for the trainer or coach who wanted a thorough introduction to my methods. That's why I created Physical Preparation 101, to give that trainer or coach a product that would cover all of my basic training philosophy. This product is broken down into two specific themes, one focusing on program design and the second focusing on coaching. So whether you want to write consistently better training programs or find the exact exercise or cue to get your clients and athletes moving better, it's all covered in this product. If you're interested in learning more, simply go to physicalpreparation101.com to learn more. Again, that's physicalpreparation101.com. 
Huge accomplishments mean even bigger failures. As an entrepreneur, father, husband, world champion powerlifter, and grip sport enthusiast, JL has had his share of both. He is the founder of The Spot Athletics, which has two 20,000 square foot private training facilities in Columbus, Ohio, and co-founder of Reflexive Performance Reset, or RPR. With these experiences, JL is no stranger to failure in the business world. As a lifter, his competitive best lifts of a 905-pound squat, 775-pound bench press, and an 804-pound deadlift earned him the fourth highest total in the world all time, until an 1,100-pound squat earned him a herniated disc and took him out of competitive powerlifting for 10 years. However, he made his way back in 2014 and won a world championship in the deadlift. JL believes that struggle and failure are the best teachers and hopes to help others so they learn faster and don't have to fail as often as he has. In this show, JL and I talk about how he got his start training hard and washing it down with peanut butter and broccoli, how that major injury led to major shifts in his life, why it's so difficult to build a business around training athletes, and finally, what RPR is and why it should definitely be on your radar. This is an awesome show with a good friend, and I really hope you enjoy it. But enough from me. Let's do this. JL, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to catch up with you a little bit. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, Mike, first of all, you know, just thanks for having me. Really honored to be on the podcast. We've known each other now for over 15 years. So I guess it's about time we go on record with a conversation. So (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a small town kid from Northwestern Michigan, town called Big Rapids, Michigan, home of Ferris State University. You know, I was lucky enough when I was a kid, we moved around a ton, but we settled in Big Rapids. I went there for high school and I ended up, you know, lucky enough to play football at Ferris State University, played fullback, wanted to be a lawyer all growing up. And uh, yeah, didn't know that. I know. And then my freshman year, I played as a true freshman at Ferris, very fortunate. And then I went skiing that winter, blew out my knee and spent a lot of time in the training room. A guy named Dave Lucy was our athletic trainer, gave me all these books on training. And I came back, I was bigger, faster, stronger. And I'd always liked lifting, but it was more kind of bro science than actual science books. <laughs> yes. And after that, man, I just came back bigger, faster, stronger. And I said, man, I want to be a strength coach. So changed my major, ended up eventually couldn't couldn't get the degree I wanted at Ferris, transferred to Wayne State University in Detroit, got my exercise science degree, went from there to the University of Kentucky to start my master's in coaching. It was a strength coach at the University of Kentucky. And when I was there, Learned uh, about the sport of powerlifting, learned that it was a sport, peripherally knew that that people did this as competition, but trained for my first meet while I was there and, you know, came up to Newark, Ohio, which is which is about 30, 45 minutes from Columbus and all the guys from Westside were there. And turns out I had a knack for lifting heavy things, totaled 2160 in my first meet, actually beat all, all the guys in Westside in my weight class that day. And, you know, Louie came over and said, hey, you need to move up here, train at Westside. So, uh, you know, and then so I decided, you know, that that I should. And so I moved to Columbus, Ohio, man, packed up my two door Grand Am, pulled my $300 out of savings and and moved to Columbus, Ohio. So been here ever since. And, you know, I I love Columbus. It's home now. I have three kids here and it's it's a great place to live. It's obviously for strength and and performance. It's a great place to be. And it's a great town in general. That's awesome, man. So tell us a little bit. You move to Westside. You start training there. 
like number one, how do you support yourself? And take us from where you were at then to where you're at now, like professionally. Yeah. I mean, back then the goal was just be the strongest person in the world. Right. So my whole life revolved around that. You know, I I tell people all the time, I'm just, I'm a very extreme person. Yeah. Obviously you've known me, so you know, but it's not, it's not a, you know, I found out about Westside Barbell and actually I went to interview at Kentucky and I was on the platforms doing Olympic weightlifting and you know, there's these guys doing bands and chains and I go over, you know, what are you guys doing? And they start telling me about conjugate system and Westside Barbell and Elite FTS and all these things. And I had never heard of any of it. So that was, it was Jim Wendler actually. Mm-hmm. And so Wendler tells me about the stuff. So I just started diving hard into it and, you know, I, you know, obviously had a knack for it. And so when I got up to Columbus, you know, basically, you know, like I said, I had everything I owned was in a two-door Grand Am. I had about $300 to my name. And, you know, luckily one of the guys in the gym let me sleep on his couch. He had a one bedroom apartment. I slept on his couch for a couple months and uh, another guy in the gym, first, first weekend in the gym, he says, uh, you know, I said, man, I I gotta, I need money. Like I don't have any money. And he said, I can get you a job and you get paid tonight. I'm in. (laughs) And so a a job uh, like that sounds kind of nerve wracking though. Like, are you robbing a bank or, uh, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't. (laughs) technically breaking any laws, I guess. (laughs) Um, Let's just say young people, let's just say you were driving people around town to different bachelor parties and things. It was an interesting job. So my first couple months here to earn money, I was just driving escorts around, man. And that's, you know, basically that's what I had to do to earn money. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, man. It was a, it was a crazy experience. And, you know, it was back in the next hell beeper day. So you'd be at your house, you get a beep that they had a call. Oh, wow. Pick up girls, take them to a place. And it was, it was a crazy job. You know, obviously my goal was to get out of that as quick as possible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Getting shot wasn't really on my list of priorities. Uh, Hard to be the strongest man alive when you're dead, right? It is. It is. It's tough, man. When you're <laughs> dead, it's hard to lift things. So, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, when, as soon as I got to the gym, you know, I, I did that, started that the first day I got to the gym because I needed money. And then I was lifting in the night crew. Dave told me, uh, Dave Tate told me about a place he used to work at before he started Elite. And I went there kind of a couple of weeks later, got a job as personal trainer. And as soon as, you know, as soon as I built up my clientele enough, you know, so I was basically working all night, driving escorts around. And then basically during the day I was working at the gym and then I trained in the night crew at the night. So it actually, it wasn't bad. I mean, I could sleep until I got beat. So, you know, you yeah. get a little bit of sleep. So, but you know, you do what you got to do to, to survive and, and to live. And for me, you know, as long as I could train at Westside and, and try to be the strongest person in the world, I'd do whatever else I had to do to make that work. And, you know, eventually, you know, obviously personal training took off for me, was able to drop the other job, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, ended up switching over to the morning crew, you know, and training. So it was, it was great. I mean, you know, my training partner, I tell people all the time, you know, when you can train and your training partners are Louis Simmons and Dave Tate, and Chuck Vogelpohl and Mike Ruggieria and Jim Wendler, and that's your normal crew that you train with. You know, like uh, what I was just say is, you know, a month of training at Westside Barbells, like a year anywhere else. So yeah. it was it was a great experience. And, you know, it was it was something that that I'll definitely always cherish uh, for, for that time. So 
let's talk a little bit more about that because I obviously know your story and I know where you came from as far as the sport of powerlifting goes. But like, was it a natural progression for you coming out of the football world to transition into that? Or was this like starting when you were playing football? Like what got you really passionate about the sport itself of powerlifting? I think like anything else, you know, I think people get it confused. They think, oh, you're going to have this passion around something and then you do it. For me, I just I was doing Olympic weightlifting. I wasn't that good at it. You know, I was fortunate. I, I lived in Colorado Springs for a summer. My girlfriend's sister was training for the Olympics. So I got to be out at the Olympic Training Center. I get to see that. I got to learn from from all those people out there. Like Wes Barnett worked at the gym I was at, Travis Mash. Like we just had this oh, wow. really cool, yeah, it was just a really cool deal. So like, oh yeah, I was like, this is great. And then I, I was doing it and I wasn't that good at it. And then I learned about powerlifting and I'd always been a good bench presser. And so um, I said, oh, well, here's a sport that's something I'm already pretty good at. So I think I weighed in college. I, I was about 240, 245. And uh, I mean, I did a touch and go 535 bench press. So <laughs> I was, I was, I was you know, it's not, it's not meat or anything, but just then we had a lift a thon. That's what I did. And so for me, I thought, well, here's something I'm good at. And honestly, I was awful at the deadlift. I was okay at the squat. And so, you know, it just, it was one of those things where honestly, I didn't have a passion for it. What I liked was I loved learning about the conjugate system. I loved learning, you know, I went through college and I learned all this stuff from the NSCA and I thought that was the gospel, right? And the, the way I look at my progression was I learned, you know, linear periodization. I trained that, you know, I had done bodybuilding style stuff, tried that. I tried the hit style. I did that. I tried... I mean, really at block periodization, right? So I tried, tried all these other things I learned about, and then I learned about something I'd never knew about. So, I mean, it was, it was one of these things for me, as soon as I started learning about it, it just made a lot of sense to me and it, it just worked. And, you know, I started training and I, I started looking at numbers and I thought, man, I, I could do some of these numbers. So it wasn't about being passionate. And I think that's, people get that confused a lot. They think that you're, you're supposed to have this passion. Well, how, how can you have passion for something you've never done? Yeah, that's a great point. And you know what you're going to be passionate about? Something you're good at. Yes, <laughs> right? true. And so I just started training. You know, I just started training. I did my first meet. Like I said, I totaled 2160. I thought, hmm, pretty good at this. Louie invited me up to train. Then I did. I mean, I went came to Westside. I totaled 22, then 23, then 24. And, you know, in, in a really short span, I had the fourth highest total in the world all time. I was getting ready to set the all-time world record for my weight class. And then, and then I learned what ego can do to you. You know, I was squatting 1,100 pounds in the gym one day and her knee did L5S1. And, you know, I basically went from I'm the strongest guy in the world and no one can beat me to I can't dress myself and my roommate's helping me get my underwear on. So, so for me, I was never passionate about powerlifting. I was, I was always passionate about strength. I love lifting weights. And I think for me, it was just a natural progression. I mean, you know, and, and I think probably a lot of people that I talk to in, in strength sports are this way, but I, I didn't have a great upbringing, right? So for me, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade was a different school. And so when I got in ninth grade, you know, I'm in high school. Now, when you're in, you know, middle school, you, you kind of everyone's the same age. But I learned real quick in middle school, you, you walk in, you punch the biggest guy on the first day and no one messes with you. Uh -uh. <laughs> but when you when you get to high school, I was a late bloomer. So my freshman year, man, I, I was 145 pounds. So I wasn't 
I wasn't a big guy at all. I was, I was small. So, you know, the, now all of a sudden you've got 18 year olds and I'm 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden punching those guys in the face doesn't work out so well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, you know, after my freshman year, man, I just started lifting. I hit puberty. My sophomore year, I came in at 190 pounds. Wow. And so, you know, I fell in love with lifting. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, I, I just love strength. Yes. I love performance. And it, it can take any form. I, I respect all of it. And, you know, for me, as I've grown older, I, I love just movement and performance and, and just everything that goes with it. But strength has a special place in my heart because, you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, I didn't know anything. But you know what I knew is that if I woke up every morning and I made the biggest batch of banana pancakes I could, because I knew bananas had healthy things in them. And I knew <laughs> <laughs> and I knew pancakes had calories. Yes. And so I knew if I got up every morning, what I would do is I'd make the biggest batch I could. And it was a contest to see how much I could eat the fastest. So I had to eat until I felt like I was going to throw up. And then I had to get three more bites down. Wow. And then and then I would just do that every day. And I would eat a bunch of eggs. And then I would drop. I, I had to ride my bicycle. So it was about five miles to the gym. So I, And I think kids can't understand this, but I had a little BMX bike and I would strap a huge boom box with like 27 double D batter. A thing weighed like 40 pounds. <laughs> and I bungee, I bungee corded it to the front of my bike with a Led Zeppelin tape or a Metallica with two tapes I owned. And so those tapes, I would just play that all the way to the gym. And then I would just lift. And it was summer, so I would lift for like two, three hours. I just loved being in that environment. And I didn't know much about the nutrition, but what I knew was that broccoli was good for you and peanut butter had a lot of calories. Okay. So what I would do is I would bring a head of broccoli and a jar of peanut butter. <laughs> and after and this, and this is what awesome. I did after every training session, I had to eat the, the head of broccoli and the jar of peanut butter before I rode my bike home. And so I didn't know anything about nutrition. I didn't really know much about training, but I knew that if I ate a lot and I worked really hard, good things were supposed to happen. You know, I mean, honestly, it's funny, you know, I started the spot athletics and there's a guy who he probably, I mean, I not probably, he has no clue who I am. So his name's Bill Murbs. And, okay. and this is something for all the coaches out there that, that, you know, they, they do their day and people talk about the grind or they talk about this and well, it's the end of the day. And maybe I don't have the energy for this client or that client. So I'm, I'm a, you know, for my 15th birthday, man, I bought a gym membership and, and Bill Murbs was just a guy who worked the front desk of the gym. There wasn't personal training back then. Performance centers didn't exist as a thing. And I just didn't know what I was doing other than what I saw in magazines. And, and, you know, I walked, it's called TNT. It was in the basement of a JC Penney's in Big Rapids where I'm from, you know, I mean, just, I mean, it's just prototypical. You see in a movie, it's like classical, like eighties movies kind of stuff. And he started talking to me, saw me working really hard, a lot of hours. And he just started teaching me and, you know, he taught me how to squat. He taught me how to bench press. He taught me about a lot of things. And, you know, he wasn't getting paid for that. He didn't have to do that. But man, that dude took me under his wing, just helped me learn how to train. And I'll tell you what, man, every time a kid walks into our gym or a person walks into the spot athletics, man, to me, like, I I don't look at it as my job. I look at it as my privilege to get to help that person because I'm 41 years old and I would still do anything for that dude 
because he took a kid. Look, I was I walked in that gym. I was 145 pounds. It wasn't yep. wasn't I didn't walk in that gym and Bill went, oh, this guy's going to be a world champion powerlifter. Right. right. Like, you know what I mean? You know, I think that's the kind of thing to me. I think as a coach, we don't understand the kind of impact we can have on people. And we don't even know to that guy. It was probably something he was just doing because he was bored sitting at the front desk. Right. To me, it changed my life. And every day at the spot, like I really try to think about that and that situation and, and try to give that to everybody who I see that comes into our facility. Man, first off, I love that. That's such a, an awesome story. But it, it kind of plays on something that I talk about on the show a lot and, and shifting your mindset, because sometimes when you do this long enough, there's even as passionate as you are about it, there's some days you go in, and you're like, oh, man, I have to go in to work today. Right. It's still a job. And, and constantly trying to remind yourself, you don't have to, right? You can go get another job. Starbucks, I'm sure, is hiring. There's like a new one every day, right? You get to go into the gym and you get to work with people. And when you start to shift your mindset back to that and that giving, I know you, you talk about servant leaders in your business, like having that mindset, it's a total shift in perspective. Well, I think that's one of the things, you know, with Instagram and just it's just the way things are today. I feel, you know, when people come into the spot athletics, man, I, to me, serving people is literally, I think the, the greatest thing you can do in life. Yep. And it really gets, I feel like people No, I'm going to be the boss and I'm going to be this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, to me, man, if you can serve others and just do that selflessly, Look, at, at Westside Barbell, my mentality was 100%. I want to win and kill and destroy everybody. You know, as I've grown, right? And I, and I tell people this all the time. I think that that herniated disc for me, from a personal standpoint, I, I don't, I know I would not be the same person today if that would have not happened. I would still just be, oh, I'm the strongest guy and setting world records and that's all I care about. But, for me, man, that took away that whole piece of my identity for a long time. And, you know, I, I was super fortunate. I worked my way back in 2014 and, and won a world championship in the deadlift. But, you know, that was a lot of years of, of just depression and trying to figure out who I was again. And it was it was really tough. And that's why I always tell people, man, the injuries you suffer, the physical part heals really quick. The mental part, that's the stuff that takes a long time. And and I don't think people understand that. And, you know, for me, I, I look at, you know, when I go now, my whole philosophy in life has just shifted. Instead of me trying to win, my goal in life legitimately at this point in my life is just put as much love into the world as possible and so for me, a lot of that is I've made so many mistakes. I mean, God, we'd have to do 75 hours of episodes to talk about <laughs> my mistakes. I mean, and that that's it, right? I mean, because at this point now, you know, I've, I've started two different businesses. I mean, I've won world championship powerlifting. I've been able to not put my own clothes on. I've you know done grip sport. I've torn a bicep off. I mean, I've... You know, I'm a, a dad, right? I've, I've had two kids before I was married to two different people. I've, right. you know, I've been divorced. Like, I mean, like I've almost gone out of business more times than I can count. Like there's just so many mistakes that I've made and so many lessons. And my goal now is really, you know, one of my favorite scenes is a smart person learns from the mistakes. A really smart person learns from others. And so to me, my, my goal now is just to try to 
to tell people about the mistakes I've learned. And ultimately, it's not to tell people how to be because I'm going to tell you right now, man, as Steve Goggins, who, you know, one of the greatest powerlifters of all time, you know, Steve Goggins and I were in the same weight class. We're competing against each other in the WPO. And Steve comes up to me and he says, you know, JL, you're, you're doing a lot of great things. Your numbers are coming up really high. But, you know, you really should slow down and take some time because you're, you're moving so fast. Well, I know that Steve was telling me at this point in my life, and, I, and I, I'm good friends with Steve now. I know him really well. But, you know, I know he was telling me out of a place of caring and not wanting to see me get hurt. And, you know, I thanked him. And then we walked away in my head. I was like, fuck you, old man. And yeah. I mean, that's really because I was like, we're competing against each other. You just don't want to lose to me. Right. And, you know, so what I know is, you know, it's like Steve kind of did for me, which didn't, I didn't listen. You know, I just try to put as much good information and let people know about the mistakes I've made. And hopefully, you know, maybe there's some people out there like I used to be, they're not going to listen, but, but maybe there's some other people that are smarter than I was and, and they'll listen to some of my mistakes. So I have to go through everything I've had to go through in life. Such great advice. And, and when you mention that, it's like, it's almost easier, right? It's almost easier to make the mistake. It just takes you so much longer to recover from it. You know what I mean? Versus like you said, if you would have listened to Steve Goggins, you know, if I hadn't whatever in my own life, like it makes it so much simpler if you would just listen to people that have been there before you and, and try and put yourself in their shoes and have their perspective. It would make your life so much simpler, but man, unfortunately it just doesn't always work out like that, you know? Well, I think part of it becomes it's just it's the ego, right? Yes. And you know, I think you know the, the ego truly is is your own greatest enemy. And I think you know, people, my mindset's totally shifted. And, and you know, we've known each other a long time. And you know, I, I I tell people all the time if if I hadn't hadn't started with reflexive performance reset and started that work. I definitely know I wouldn't have made this shift because I was such a sympathetic driver, just <laughs> just ready to fight people all the time. And it, it's allowed me to really change and get better focus and, and not just get better focus, but, you know, really take time to think and, and work on myself. And and that that's the thing, man. I think that, you know, everyone wants to get, there's all these people out there given, you know, they want to be a life coach at 19 and they want to do all of these things. It's, you know, to me, if you're not right yourself, man, you, you can't get anybody else right or, right or not in the long term. I love it. So we'll come back to RPR because I definitely want to talk about that. But I want to talk a little bit about kind of the shift that you must have had. So you're training, you've got, you know, your job. At what point did you say to yourself, look, man, like, okay, just this, this, whatever, nine to five or whenever you're working, I'm not really feeling this. I think I want to go out on my own. What was that like? And what prompted you to, to actually make that move? Yeah, I think the easy thing is I've always hated authority. I just, I mean, I just have never wanted to listen. I mean, I moved out of my house before I graduated high school. As soon as I turned 18, I mean, I'm just... I'm just not a big authority person. I never liked people telling me what to do, you know? So for me, it, it goes back to, I mean, in college, you know, you know, middle school, right. I'm buying, selling, trading baseball cards. Right. I mean, I'm in, in college, uh, high school, 
we won't talk about, but I was always the one throwing the parties, right? Right. Because I thought, I thought, hey, I put up the money for the keg, you know, make this much money on the back end. To me, that always seemed like a really cool thing to do. <laughs> and so, you know, I'll never forget in college, we threw this huge, huge party and we had to buy a lot of kegs. So in college, we had to put up a lot of money. I'm sure it was probably, you know, 500 bucks, right? right. And so it, it was, I mean, it, it, my, it, that was like a million dollars at the time. And I remember I went around to all these guys and I said, hey, you can pitch in for this and we'll split it up on the back end. And no one wanted to put in the money. So I put all the money up myself and then I made all the profit. And it was, it was, a, it was a solid profit. They were all bitching that I made the profit. And I thought, hey, man, you guys didn't want to put it. You don't want to risk anything up front. And now you want the reward. That's not how life works. So right. I think I've just always had that that bent towards, you know, running my own business and doing my own thing. And, you know, I think when I was, you know, when I was training at Westside, I did all I cared about was being the strongest guy in the world. So all I wanted was a job. I didn't want a lot of responsibility. I wanted a job that I could make enough money to live and compete and do what I needed to do and give me enough time to train and rest. So when after I hurt my back, then I kind of said, okay, I need to maybe do some more stuff. I took over the you know athletic director position where I was at. So I was, had run a club for a couple of years. The management changed over. And the management we had, I learned so much from them because they owned about 215 clubs around the world. Oh, wow. So they were a big... They were a big national, you know, international company, and it was an amazing company to work for, and they had all these amazing values. And then the founder of the company died. And so when he died, he he gifted $500 million to charity. And so they had to sell a lot of the company off. And so our facility got sold, and the people who bought it were just total a-holes. <laughs> and I mean – like not for nothing. Like they, like they just looked at me and they went, "This is a big dummy head, and he doesn't know anything." Right. And they, like, you know, it's funny to me, right? So I'll never forget this conversation. You know, we had this conversation because I applied to run the whole club. I was running the, the just the athletics, and these guys basically laughed me out of the office and were like, "You don't know anything about running a business," and blah blah blah. And it's so funny to me now. Obviously, I started two different businesses that are successful, but. You know what it was like, I like swear to God, this is a true story. So I'm meeting with their head of HR, right? Head of HR. She really looks at me and says, well, you know, the way you look, you're intimidating some people. So I really don't think you can do the job this way. And I said, wait, so if I was black, that wouldn't work for you either. And she's like, she's like, what, what? You just told me the way I look inhibits the job performance I do. That's literally the definition of discrimination. (laughs) Wow. And they were awful. I'll say this. I don't wish ill on anybody, but if they got hit by a car, I wouldn't stop to check. Um, (laughs) And so, and they know who they are. I hope they listen. But, you know, it's one of those things. So for me, man, once that changed, I was like, I got to get out of here. That was kind of the start of it. You know, subleased 2000 square feet, just a small little space. It was great. You know, you know, it's one of these things, man. My guy, Matt Bernowskis, he's been with me. It'll be it'll be eight years this fall. You know, it was crazy how the universe works, man. He interned for me when I was when I was athletic director, you know, did a great job, was smart, you know, wanted to learn. And then he went off to physical therapy school. I swear to God, I signed the lease. Next day, I'm in there just kind of looking around, planning things. I get a call from this personal training studio. They say, hey, we got a reference for Matt Bernowskis. And 
okay, I just, it was a voicemail. So I call Matt. I said, hey, man, I thought you were fit. Ah, it's not for me, this and that. So I said, hey, are you in town? He said, yeah, I'm moving back to Columbus on personal train. So I said, come over to this place. I gave him the address. He walks in. We got no equipment. I mean, it's just – it's this huge volleyball soccer facility thing. Yeah, we I remember. Yeah, I remember we had the yeah. black chain link fence around our Yeah. Equipment. Yeah. So before any of that was in, and I bring him and I just show him kind of my vision of what I want to do. It's basically the corner of a warehouse, right? It's funny because the job offered him a salary and and all this stuff. And, you know, I sat him down and I said, look, man, I can't offer you a salary. I can't even tell you we're going to be open in a year. (laughs) Honestly, I, I don't know if I can pay you anything. I said, but what I do know is you will learn more here than anywhere else in the world and you will get more development. And he goes, I'm in. And just not cool. let me think about it, not anything. So Matt's my dude, man. He's been with me the whole time. And, you know, I, I couldn't have the spot athletics. We wouldn't be what it wouldn't be without him. I mean, that dude, I mean, there were weeks, you know, <laughs> we, we were working 80 hours, 100 hours a week, man. I mean, and I'd be, I'd say, you know, here's 200 bucks because if I give you anything more, I can't buy groceries for my kids. You know what I mean? Right. It was, and so, you know, I owe a lot to him. And that's, I think, you know, the universe, I think, brings people like that into your life when you need them sometimes, if, if you do the right things at other times. Yeah, for sure. So as you know, when we move into that owner operator role, we tend to think we know everything, right? We've worked for somebody else. We figure, oh man, I can do this better, right? Just because I'm me. So what was something when you opened the spot athletics that you were totally unprepared for or didn't expect? So, of course, everybody thinks, right, you don't know about all the costs and just, yeah. right? It's like, okay, well, I take in $50 for training. And so $50 ain't $50. What happened was we moved in and we were in a volleyball facility. So the volleyball facility was super, super busy during the winter. And so right when we got everything built out and everything basically hit that winter time. So we were doing really good at first and everything was going well. We had a club team we were training. Well, I thought that they would just keep training with us when the club season was over. Right. Dude, I, I, what happened was I asked, I called someone for advice who at the time was kind of putting out to everybody like he was killing it and he was in a volleyball facility and he had no clue what he was doing. He wasn't killing it. It's gone out of business since then. But I didn't know because I didn't really know him that well. I just knew kind of some things he had wrote about, which right. complies. Man, we went through that first year. We got, to, we got to the next time. And, and, you know, to me, I didn't have any money to start my facility. So I, I borrowed money and that, that's the thing too. I'll tell people. So for me, you know, like I said, I, I didn't have anything when I moved to Columbus, when I started my gym, I still really didn't have anything. I had a little, little more than $300, but, but didn't have much. And, but what I did have, you know, was, was a ton of relationship capital. And I think, that's something people underestimate, you know, as a coach, the greatest to me, if you don't care about helping other people, you just flat out shouldn't be a coach. You can be a professor, you can write books, but if you're a coach, people better care. And, and for me, man, I, there's a whole hell of a lot of fucks given when I coach someone. Right. And so, you know, to me, I think that's one of the things that I say separates. We talked about this as athletics is there's loving care and pride put into everything we do. And, you know, I've always just coached that way and just cared deeply about helping others. And so when I went to start Spot Athletics, man, two, two guys that I trained forever, gave them the business plan. Both of them had the same response, man. They took the plan, 
pushed it aside, said, we'll give you whatever you need to get this started because we believe in you. And then they picked the plan back up and said, now let's make sure it makes sense. Wow. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's cool. You know, and, and, and I'll forever owe those guys because I couldn't have done it without them. Okay. And so, you know, it's one of those things where when you're going through, though, you have this plan, this business plan. And that's the other thing, dude. If you're out there and you're thinking about starting a facility and you don't have a business plan, you have no, you, you haven't got to the first square, right? It's right. people, you know, I'm thinking about I'm looking at locations. Awesome. Send me your business plan. I don't have one. Awesome. Then you've skipped to step 15 <laughs> right. in the process. So I had a plan. I had all these things. None of it was right, of course. But it's just, to me, I look like a business plan. It's like a training plan, right? First, you got to do your needs analysis, right? Yep. You got to look at what what could be what could be potential issues, you know, your SWOT analysis, all that. And then you come up with a training plan. And just like any training plan, that thing is going to get modified as you go. How does the body feel? How's this doing, right? And that that's a business plan. If you write a training plan and it never gets tweaked, then you're not a very good coach. Right. And... Same thing with a business plan. It's always got to be updated and tweaked. And, you know, for me, I thought my business was going to be 75, probably closer. I really, I was being, I thought really more 90% athletes, but I was so wrong. I mean, it's so seasonal with athletes, man, general population that like, I like to say, there's no, there's no off season for looking good naked. And so (laughs) people... People are going to train with you year round because they have to move better, feel better. And, you know, with the athletes, it's so cyclical. And so what I really didn't understand when I started was how cyclical the athletes are. And so, you know, a season ends, another one begins, you know, this ends, these go off to college. And so for me, just that cyclical nature of the athletes and it it really got me. So it was, I'll never forget, man, September. So we were open about one year, man. I'll I'll never forget every credit card I had was maxed out. I had a line of credit on my house and I had $8,000 left on my line of credit on my house. And at that point, and I hadn't, I hadn't gotten a check in three months. And so I had $8,000 left in looking at basically bills and everything. I was like, okay, we've got two months left where I can pay rent and pay all my expenses in this business. And then I've got to sell the business and the equipment or I can't put food on the table. And so it was one of those deals, man, where I was starting to look online, how much can I get for my equipment? You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, Because, but you know, it's, we made it through and, and, and we got through and, I mean, for me, though, just not understanding that cyclical nature of the athletes. I mean, it almost it, it, it re- realistically, it almost meant there there could not be a spot athletics today. I mean, what? OK, so I've got to ask, like what what started that turnaround with two months out, you know, and, and you're literally on the Internet trying to price out equipment and that sort of thing. Like, was it just like, oh, crap, I have to get out here and sell or like, was it just a timing thing and the athletes came back? Like what what got you going back in the right direction? It was, it was definitely, it was the timing, time of year. Okay. A lot of our athletes, you know, the, you know, a lot of the volleyball players started to come back. We, you know what I mean? And so yeah. we started, that started. And and then the other part of it was we realized we've really got to focus on our adult programs. I got and you. so it was, it was a combination of timing and us just going, okay, trying to be all athletes is dumb. Yeah. It just, it's not a thing. And especially in Ohio, for anyone who doesn't know, Ohio is basically 
it's like the hospitals are basically like 1920 mobsters. <laughs> and so they basically, in my opinion, are doing something that's ultra illegal, but who, who has enough money to fight the hospitals? So basically what the hospitals did was they started their athletic trainers at the schools mm. and then they got all these referrals in their hospital systems. Well, then they realized, hey, all these kids are going to train at these other places. If we just ha pay the strength coach and give them to the school for basically almost nothing, then we can get even more kids in our referral system. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like paying a doctor to refer somebody to a certain hospital basically is what yep. they're doing. It's, cr it's craziness. And so it's, it's hard in Ohio because there's so much of that going on. And it's funny. I talk to people from other States and they just literally their draw drops yeah. when I tell them and they just go, what the, that's crazy. And it's like, well, that's just the way it is right now. So yeah. until, until someone with deeper pockets than me decides that to fight that in court, then, then it's just going to keep happening. That's true. That's true. And we deal with it here in Indianapolis. So the, the one saving grace is the fact that now people are starting to figure out, oh, wow, these strength coaches or these programs aren't the best. I'm going to seek out a better option. So, No, and that's for, I mean, a lot of what happens is it just becomes someone sitting in the weight room because, yes. you know, they, they sell it as, you know, well, if someone's in the weight room and they get hurt, this is a qualified person sitting in the weight room. So, right. but, you know, there are some good ones too. I mean, I think it's like anything else. There's Yes. You know, there's great, there's great people everywhere. It's just, you know, and there's bad people everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, right? People think doctor, it's like, there's doctors who screw a lot of stuff up, right? <laughs> you know, graduate last in your class, they still call you doctor. And That's so right. <laughs> it's so yeah, so I mean, I think for me, though, just the expense of everything, man, that I, I it's hard, I think, you know, I wrote an article a long time about this, but you know, you don't really, when you run a business, just all the expenses that you just don't think about, it mm -hmm. just, it, it's, it's crazy. You're like, where does that money, where's that going? Where's that going? And so I've been doing this now, I mean, almost eight years. And I still, when I look at our P and L, if you don't know what a P and L is, please, oh my God, you need to know what a P and L is. <laughs> if you have a business, you don't have a P and L, like I would argue you don't have a business. Don't have a business. Yes. Um, <laughs> you've got a hobby, you got a cool hobby. Right. You all right, man. So one last topic I want to cover with you is RPR. For starters, for somebody that has no clue, what is it? And number two, why should we know about it? So one, what it is, it's a simple system of breathing and neurological drills that allow you to optimize your nervous system. And the reason that you should know about it and or use it, I would say more use it than know about it because knowing about something and not using it's pretty pointless. Right. The reason you should use it is that, you know, we literally went to school and learned about the neuromuscular system. Yep. However, because we don't have something that can take a picture of the nervous system working and the neurological firing patterns, we've just pretended it doesn't exist. So everything that we're working on and learning, we're, we're working on the muscles. Well, the way I like to analogy it is it's just like 150 years ago. People didn't know what light bulbs were and electricity. Right. Well, it's funny to me. I was watching this reenactment on Netflix and it was you know, 150 years ago or whatever, the first people to see a light bulb. And it's funny because I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching this and, you know, he flips on the switch and it gets bright and people's faces are just, oh my God, it's magic. You know, this guy's <laughs> voodoo. And what's funny is I go, I know that face. I know that face. Yeah. And it's the same face that when we show how our PR can quickly change because 
you know, basically no one nowadays, no one would walk and see a light bulb on and think that's crazy. Now, what is crazy is if they walked in a dark room and instead of flipping the light switch on and turning the electricity on, they just started changing light bulbs in a dark room. That would be crazy. Right. And that's essentially what we've been doing in strength conditioning and athletic training, physical therapy, is we're doing all these things to work that muscular side. And I kind of look at it, the, the nervous systems, the electricity, the fascia, the tendons, the bones, all that. That's, you know, that's the light fixture. Yes. And the muscles, we see them working. Those are the light bulbs. And so to me, it's crazy that we do all this stuff for light bulbs. We do all this stuff for light fixtures. And yet we're literally doing nothing for the electricity. And the crazy part is they could have named it the muscular neurosystem, yes. but they named it neuromuscular because the nervous system is what tells the muscles what to do. And so it is crazy when people see it or feel it, they think it's magic. They think it's voodoo because literally, you know, I can test someone's ab strength and, you know, the way I looked at it, like I said, it optimizes your nervous system. So right now, Athletes are coming into your facility or, you know, people's facilities and they're doing absolutely nothing to test where their nervous system is. They're doing absolutely nothing to evaluate literally the thing that starts all movement. And so what RPR does is it gives you a system to test that and it gives you a system. And the best part about it is, and this is one of the big things you say with RPR is if you're touching someone, you're not doing RPR. Because the point of RPR is we show people how to do all these things for themselves. So if you have like for us, you know, we do a lot of semi-private like small group training. And so it's awesome because all of our clients know how to do everything so they can optimize their own nervous system. And to me, that's so much more powerful because there are some people out there, practitioners that can do some amazing things. And, and you know, I mean, Bill and some, I mean, there's people that are so smart on that stuff. And it's right. awesome. If you can travel to go see them or if right. you can afford to see them every week. Right. The cool part about RPR is that you can – I do it. I mean, you've, we've hung out. I do it all day, every day. I mean, I do it you know, several times a day whenever I'm feeling like I need to adjust some things. And right. you know, the, the thing is it's so funny is you know, if I test someone's quad flexibility, let's say, and it's really tight. And that's the thing. It's, it, people get confused. It doesn't – RPR doesn't fix anything. It just optimizes what you have. And so, you know, if you have something that's just totally awful, optimized awful is still not that great, right? Right. <laughs> right. So, and so the thing is, is it doesn't replace – and this is a cool part. The coolest part to me about RPR is it literally changes nothing in anybody's training program because everything you're doing in your training program addresses the soft tissue like that light fixture or the light bulb, the muscles, right? This literally addresses it's, – it's the base. It addresses something that no one's actually addressing right now and that's getting the nervous system to be optimized before we start moving. And so we've had some cool, you know, FMS, you know, some people like it, some people don't, whatever you like, but it's a measure. And I know we had a kid, he did his master's thesis and just did FMS pre and post score with just RPR in between. And it was a significant change in scores, right? Instant. Oh, that's cool. And so the thing is this optimization, I think people get confused. If you have a tight quad and I actually just made some videos that hopefully should be out soon where I show people like if you have a tight quad. Do these couple of things and then see what happens. If your quads tight, like I do it, I have really tight quads. So for me, I can't pull my heel to my butt. But if I go through the RPR system in about 30 seconds, my heel goes right to my butt, no problem. 
It's not about stretching. And that's why people have it messed up. Like stretching is great. I love stretching. And, and, you know, some people like it, some people don't. Me personally, I've always liked it. Right. It just feels good. Right. However, now I do RPR, it gets my nervous system optimized. And now, okay, that 20 minutes of stretching I was trying to do and three minutes of using the RPR system, I'm at that place. Yeah. Well, now I can go further if I Right. And I think, in, you know, you, you and I are the same age. Mm-hmm. When I tell young people that fascia didn't exist 20 years ago, they look <laughs> at me like I have four eyes or something. Or a, you know what I mean? Like, yes. It, it's so hard for them to comprehend that every soccer mom in the country knows what plantar fasciitis is now. But literally, you and I were being taught by PhDs 20 years ago who were running through the anatomy books and not even knowing that fascia existed. Yeah. And so literally the smartest people in the medical community 20 years ago didn't know that it was a thing. And now soccer moms just pretend it's always existed. Right. And so that's what I think in 20 years, the way we're empowering people to to optimize their own nervous systems. I think in 20 years, I think that I'll have an intern and they'll just go, what do you mean you guys didn't start with the nervous system? You know, I just. (laughs) <laughs> right. I just think it's one of those things that it's, you know, when people first hear about it and, and here's a hundred percent, the thing I always tell people until you feel RPR, you can't comprehend it because if I said to you, okay, Mike, I'm going to test your, I'm going to have you do a sit up, test your ab strength. And then I'm going to have you do something for about 15 seconds. And it's going to make that about 40% stronger instantly. Obviously you'd think I was selling you something. Right. And it's the cool part is, is it's just a system and it works because, you know, everybody's nervous system and body works on the same principle. So we really have spent a long time, you know, myself and, and Cal Dietz and Chris Corfus, we co-founded it. And, and we really spent a long time just really honing in, you know, Douglas Heal has be activated, kind of came from him and he teaches everything on the practitioner model. And then we took that. And basically just simplified it down to something that, you know, our 12-year-old athletes run in our facility and they know how to do it because we've taught them how to optimize their nervous system before they train. And I mean, it's it, there's some crazy stuff, man. And, yeah. and more and more data is coming out. But we had an NHL team that, that implemented it two years ago and they went from 362 man games lost to 180. So it's 50 percent reduction doesn't suck. No, it does not. So we've there, there's some sweet stuff. I, I mean, honestly. I've had clients more than I can count from ours at the spot. And then just people who take the course is like, oh, my God, my friend or my client, they were supposed to have surgery and they've just been doing using the RPR system every day. And now nothing hurts. So they're not having surgery. And I'm telling you, to me, the nervous system, it's just to me, I, I just don't understand how they're literally the first part of the word neuromuscular. We've just ignored like it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's, it's, great, it's crazy to me. It Absolutely. So we're kind of up against the clock a little bit here, but I want to hear one last thing about RPR. I would love to hear what your vision and your goals are for the system going forward. Yeah, man. I, I look BHAG, man. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, BHAG for me is to literally globally change the way the body is studied and understood. Because I just see so there's so much application in every field. And right now, obviously, we're focused on performance because that's that's kind of our thing. 
But to me, I had a guy come in, PhD from Stanford, and studies movement, and has a lab on movement, and he studies injury mechanisms. And th- I mean, this dude, I mean, obviously, right? Like, super, super smart. And I literally, we were talking about movement. I say, you're, you're looking at the movement, but you're only studying where the body is. You're not studying the neurological firing pattern. That determines the strength that happens. And he's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then I literally showed him a hip extension and a quick, he just showed him how to reset it. And he just instantly went from, I could push him down with one, two fingers to I'm standing on top of the table and he's holding his leg up. (laughs) And this, this dude got up and his mind was just blown and he's going, what the, he's, I don't, you know, and because he's studied his whole life. So to me, honestly, for RPR, you know, this is, this is my thing. I've already gotten more out of RPR than than I could ever have hoped for. It's helped countless friends of mine feel better, change their lives. And, and honestly, that starts with me. It's, it's totally changed my life and the way my body feels and operates. And, you know, walking through Target a couple of weeks ago, my knee locked up, had seven knee surgeries. But every once in a while, stuff happens. And I'm walking through Target with my four-year-old. And all of a sudden, it just locked up. And literally, it, it was like someone just stabbed me and I couldn't move. And so I'm standing there. My four-year-old's running off. And I can't move. Boom, go right into my RPR system. Boom, boom, boom. About two minutes later, I'm fine walking around, right? And so it just changes the way, you know, again, it optimizes that nervous system. And is it going to regrow my ACL? Is it going to make my meniscus come back? Of course not. But if it provides a little bit of space in that joint for my knee to move because my nervous system isn't imploding on my body and compensating and everything's doing what it's supposed to, well, if if I don't have pain, I don't have a problem. Right. Like I said, my BHAG is pretty big to globally change the way the body's studied and understood. But I really think it's needed, man. I, I just think this is the last thing I'll leave you with. If, if you had to bet everything you owned, your kids, your house, your business, everything you care about, right? Your wife, all of that. And you had to bet it on one of two things. The two things were one, something that's existed for about 200 years in one part of the world only. Or something that's existed through thousands and thousands of years and literally every single part of the world, which one are you betting everything you own on? Yeah, exactly. And it's a no-brainer. And to me, when you look, Brian Mann, who, you know, Brian's a good friend of mine, and it was funny. He said, you know, this stuff, if if anyone else was telling me this was amazing stuff, I probably wouldn't come, but you and Cal are saying it, so I'm going to come. He came at at lunchtime, man. He He was, dude, this is so amazing. He goes, here's the thing. There's stuff like this literally through every culture, through thousands of years. He was like, but you guys are just simplified into a system that a 10-year-old can understand how to use. Right. And so that's the thing to me. I feel like we're getting there. I see the signs that people are understanding it needs to be addressed. I just hope RPR can, can really push that discussion and help people get there quicker. I love it, man. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young J.L. Holdsworth one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Love, not hate, man. Love, not hate. Simple as that, man. Hate hate destroys, love builds. I lived my life for a long time hating everyone, trying to destroy everything, and ultimately the only person that destroys is me. I've shifted completely on that. You know, I don't think young J.L. Young J.L. might punch me in the face and wouldn't listen. But I would say love, not hate, man. Hate is this fuel that it's a rocket fuel, man. It can get it can get you some pretty crazy places really quick, but eventually it's going to blow up. 
I've blown up a lot in my life, man. There's, there's a lot of things I've done. There's a lot of relationships I've ruined, a lot of body parts I've tore off. <laughs> there's, there's a lot, man. And, you know, when I used to go into the gym, man, I used to, I used to go in and I would hate the weights and try to destroy them. Now when I walk in the gym, I do it because I love my body and I want to be in a great place. Same thing with when I deal with people, man, you know, some people, you know, RPR, someone, someone was talking some trash and saying, oh, I don't think this works. Awesome, man. All I can do is put great information out in the world and it's your choice whether or not to pick it up. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly, man, I feel in a better place, but love, not hate, man. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, people think when I was young, I thought hate was how to be tough and that was how to be hard and punching people and doing all this stuff. And I did a lot of it, but man, it's not strength and that I've always been this big fan of strength. And I think part of it was because I didn't understand, like I could show outward strength, but true inner strength is being able to see, you know, someone screaming and suffering and not just wanting to punch them in the face or push them down, but to help them up and to understand where they're at and try to like, not just take on, the emotional things you have going on, but try to understand where someone else is that shit, that shit's tough. Yeah. And you know, it's taken me a long time to get to that. I don't think younger me would understand that. Probably a lot of people listening maybe don't understand that, but to me that that's what I would say, whether or not I would listen to it again, like I said, all, all you can do is put great information out and, and hope someone picks something up that helps them. I love that, man. Awesome advice. Okay, my guy, last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So I got four questions for you today. Your answer can be as short or as long as you'd like. All right. Number one, you've been around some seriously strong mofos in your day. So tell me, who is the strongest dude you ever lifted with or against? Naturally, Rob Fusner. I mm. saw Rob Fusner walk into the gym, jeans, cold. Someone bet him $500. He couldn't fuck. He deadlifted like seven or 800 pounds raw cold. Like just Rob Fusner back in the day, just wow. strongest raw strength I've ever seen. That's impressive. Okay. Number two, you've been around some seriously freaking smart people as well. Does any one particular coach or mentor, anybody stand out to you? Honestly, Cal Dietz, man. Cal's a mad genius. You know, I thought I understood performance at a deep level. I understood strength and powerlifting at a deep level, but that that cat, man, he's he's a mad genius. And yeah. honestly, Corfus, you know, two guys I co found RPR, man. My program as a whole to spot athletics is light years ahead of where it was because of those two guys. Awesome. Number three, young coach listening to this show wants to take their game to the next level. What do you tell them? It's all about other people. It's not about you. Great advice. Unfortunately, we all probably start in the opposite when we're getting going. <laughs> it's all about us and how we do things. Yeah. No, I, I was the biggest violator. Like I said, none of my advice comes from comes from the pulpit, man. It, it comes from the gutter. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right. Number four, last but not least, what's next for JL? Big thing, man, is focusing on RPR. I love the spot athletics. I love what we do. I think, you know, we truly focus on the education and doing things at a world-class level. The limiting factor with that is unless you live within five or 10 miles, you know, central Ohio-ish, whatever, you're, we're not going to impact you. Yep. The things we're doing with RPR and, and I love, I mean, we change lives at the spot athletics and I love it and it's a family, you know, but 
the things we're doing with RPR, the amount of change that I've been able to have and, and the impact for people all around the country, all around the world. For me, I really am, have shifted my focus to really working with that and trying to get that out to people because like I said, I mean, my, my philosophy now, man, is to put as much love in the world as possible. And, and to me, showing someone, first of all, the impact that this environment has on our nervous system is one, just that awareness, right? Just that mindfulness of, of what's going on is huge. Mm-hmm. But then being able to give them a gift where I can show them how they can control that, it's it's super powerful. And it just, it can get to so many more people and help so much more. And there's no geographic lock. So to, to me, man, it's really focusing on RPR and building that and trying to trying to get that message out and help as many people as we can with that. I love it, man. Well, JL, dude, it's been great catching up. As always, where can my listeners find out more about you and what you have going on? Yeah, I mean, social media, Instagram, it's coach underscore JL reflexiveperformance.com on Instagram. It's RPR system. So those are kind of where, where we hang out. Obviously, if you have a facility, if you want to know more, we post great information. It's the Spot Athletics. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And so those are kind of my three, my three places. At Coach JL, you know, I'll put a lot more kind of personal different things. You know, the Spot Athletics is obviously more for private facility, a lot of client-based and, and training-based. And obviously, RPR system is just just pushing that and getting people to learn more about that. I love it, man. Well, JL, dude, I know you're busy. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. Honestly, you know, every time I get to talk to you, it's a privilege and uh, I appreciate you taking time to chat with me. guys that does it for this week's show with jl sincerely hope you enjoyed it i mean he's one of those guys i think we mentioned it in the show but i've been friends with him since i don't know 2005 maybe even a little bit before that and just a guy deeply deeply respect he's a savage in every area of his life he was a savage on the platform now he's a savage in business and people like that are the ones that are really going to push you make you think outside the box, even though it's a little cliche, but they're going to challenge you as to what's possible. So I hope you enjoyed the show with JL. Perhaps most importantly, I hope you're enjoying the show. Like I said up front in the intro, things are going amazingly well. Show, you know, downloads are going up. So my ask for you this week, if you enjoy the show, if you're taking something away from the show, please just share it with one person. That's all I ask. It could be a friend, a family member, a colleague, a loved one, doesn't matter. If you think somebody could benefit from listening to this show or listening to JL's story, if you would share it with them, I would be forever grateful. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.